Carla, I'm really uncertain at the minute. Can you help me? Yes, I can. I have a solution for you. You know what's called? No, what is it? Designing for a new level of uncertainty. An amazing title that describes exactly what the content will be. I know. So, yeah, we partnered with Potterpie to interview lots of designers around the world, talk about how we can navigate this completely new level of craziness in the world. Cool, I guess I'll probably subscribe and listen to that as well. Yeah, definitely enjoy season two of Design Untangled. I'm Chris Mears. And I'm Carla Lindarte. We're two UX designers. And we hate jargon. So we're here to help you untangle the world of design. Cut through the crap and talk about what really matters. Yes, solving people's problems. Welcome to Design Untangled. Hello everyone, again, this is Carla Lindarte, I'm with Chris Mears, my friend Chris, and today we have a very, very special guest, Abby, who is um, the Chief Design Officer at Accenture Interactive, which was former Fjord, and um, Abby, I'm very, very excited about having Abby here because she's um, a voice for diversity, a very strong woman. Um, she worked for the BBC before, uh, she worked for the iPlayer, and she's also a DJ, a journalist, like amazing background. So thank you, Abby, for being here. How, did I introduce you? Oh, no, that was amazing. Fairly. <laughs> that, more than, I think that you've, uh, you've definitely bigged me up there, so thank you. Do we need to use your DJ name? Uh, I never reveal my DJ name unless you've found it out somehow. Um, I try and keep that under wraps. <laughs> Don't want anybody searching for me. There's probably one or two images that I regret somewhere. So, um, yeah, we've all got those. Chris, Chris is a DJ as well. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you still still an active DJ, Chris? Um, if you consider in my office room active, then yes, very active. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, one day, one day we'll uh, yeah, get we'll, together. Yeah, um, we'll do a back-to-back set or something. Definitely. That'd be amazing. So, Abby, thank you again for being here and help us answer the question of this series, which is, like, designing for uncertainty. And, you know, we all know about, like, the times that we, we're going through at the moment. And I uh, just wanted to ask you how it's been the lockdown for you, like, having such a busy job and, like, juggling kits and stuff. How has it been for you? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been intense, hasn't it? It's been a bit of a crazy one. Um, I'm sure we're all feeling that. Um, luckily for me, I'm really lucky in that my partner, my wife, Lee, who is an amazing, I'm going to plug her now, she's an amazing um, photographer and art director, but she's a freelancer. So she she um, she and I made the decision that she would pause doing any jobs during the time when there was homeschooling. So oh, obviously we had, the, we had the kids at home and my job basically took a turn for the for the interesting so I've got this chief design officer title but actually my role morphed into um really genuinely heading up design across interactive so across Accenture Interactive in the UKI in a new org structure so they brought together several teams and Mm -hmm. I then was taking on not just Fjord anymore but but three other teams so trying to form um, a new team of 150 plus people during lockdown, um, that was quite a challenge to say the least. Wow. Intense. Yeah, <laughs> it's still it's ongoing, obviously. Um, but I needed. I was so grateful to Lee really for for stepping in because I really needed that. Those first few months were just you know nonstop basically. So it was full on. 
Um, and cool. the kids, I think, just w- were missing me even though I was here. So I thought, yeah. you know, now it's a little bit easier. And I think, and they're at schools. So I think it's a bit, we've got a bit more balance. But at the time it was, it was a bit crazy. And for them it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because you have your parents at home, but you're not allowed to talk to them. <laughs> That's yeah. really weird. Or they just drift in, like I'd have a pitch or something. This did ha- genuinely happen to me. And one of them would just drift in and you'd suddenly see their little face in the, in the corner of the oh. screen. And it's in a, <laughs> you can get away with it. People have had to yeah. be, I think, quite nice about it, but it's slightly puts you off when you're like in the middle of a flow that sail with a, a kid. <laughs> <laughs> exactly they're very cute so you know i was trying to trying to use that obviously it's my advantage <laughs> but, yeah. um, so just thinking then about you know the whole coronavirus thing etc have you found you've been getting any different or i suppose like trends of questions or requests you've been getting from your clients at the moment like that have changed maybe their outlook on how they're approaching things yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in my position were feeling the same way at the beginning of lockdown. I was a bit worried, um, you know, because would design be something that clients would continue to buy when really there's potentially a downturn coming, and that that did concern me. But actually, the the opposite was true. So we are really busy, which is which is fantastic news. Um, so I think just I guess in terms of what I'm seeing and that this is by no means comprehensive but some of the patterns that I'm seeing there's there's kind of three um I think there's been a massive uptick in demand for customer insight and particularly the kind of methodologies that we use so design research you know using that the kind of the more of the qualitative um approach you know doing ethno understanding really the need to the behavior change that's going on because of you know because of covid and because people have different needs now so i think a lot of our clients wanted to understand what that meant for for their services and whether they needed to do anything or change or rethink the way they were meeting the needs of customers so our design researchers have been pretty much sold out really busy which is great because it's such a, an amazing and important part of what we do i think um so that's one thing and then I think another is actually, you know, over the past few years, quite a lot of companies have built their own design teams in-house, which is something that has happened quite a few times in the past. But right, you know, right at the tail end of that, I think, over last year. And what we've seen through COVID is really kind of an urgency around enhancing those teams. So bringing in, you know, some experts, some designers to help drive and accelerate the, the pace at which those design teams can be effective. Um, and I think that's that's probably because quite often what they're doing is they're designing digital products and services. And a lot of clients have needed to massively accelerate digitization. Um, you know, yeah. as you can imagine, things that didn't need to be online suddenly needed to be online. Yeah. So that's another. So you, so you think they're going more like towards kind of in-housing a lot of this work and getting support from consultancies and agencies to do that rather than getting a third party to deliver or just build these websites very quickly? Uh, it's, a, it's a combination. I think that that is also happening as well. But I think where those companies have built in-house um, design teams, you know, quite often it's hard to, to scale that quickly. So, you know, to actually hiring that talent takes quite a long time. So if they needed to up, upscale which they have had to then that's a time when they can bring in people like us we've we know how to not not only how to enhance capability but how to build it so Mm. we've got the skills really to be able to to jump in and help them you know in this time when 
there's so much more to do in such a short period of time. It's, it's really just drop teams in that can help, basically. So that's, I mean, it's something that I think, you know, is it helps because we can we can be become become part of the their culture, but also we can bring our culture. Mm-hmm. And I mean that c- come on to that a little bit later. But I think injecting that pace that you can get from a design agency can be be quite impactful. I think for these companies. Yeah, exactly. Because they can't like as before. They can't. They don't have as much time. I mean, obviously, con- consumer needs have been changing so much and demanding so much from from you know from companies but yeah. you know now is actually even more important to be quick isn't it definitely um i'm going to change a little bit of the topic yeah. um talking about diversity and uh said at the beginning like you're quite a strong voice for diversity in the industry and so i just want to know about your journey and why you're so passionate about this topic yeah, I mean, this could take hours, so I'm going to keep it <laughs> as short as I can. But if I pick one aspect of my journey, so being gay, right, um, and I've recently had to talk a bit more about this because I've taken on the LGBTQ plus um, sponsor role for Interactive. So, you know, really standing up and saying, right, you know, I'm here and if you need me and let's build a community has made me really think about why I'm doing that and why it's important. Um, and I think if I look back over my career, it's sort of started off with me probably carrying quite a lot of shame. And I think that's a word that we have to say out loud. Um, from my childhood, you know, I didn't feel very comfortable in my skin. I think being, you know, a child in the 70s and 80s in the north of England, it wasn't a great, it wasn't a comfortable situation to feel like, you know, I might be different from everyone else. So I think that stayed with me into early 20s and, you know, my first forays into into work and there's probably been one or two particular things that have happened to me in my career that have given me the confidence to embrace that kind of otherness if you like but it, it certainly hasn't been easy um so you know whether that's been someone that's stood up and said you know I'll support you or here I can see an opportunity for you um, or whether that is somebody saying to me, you being visible and out uh, as a leader in design has made me feel comfortable coming to work. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, that's just one aspect. Obviously, I'm also a woman. There's a whole intersectionality thing. Um, there's a lot going on at work with the whole topic around diversity, particularly in terms of what's happening with, you know, Black Lives Matter and all of that is we're in a situation now as an industry where we have to change and we have to be better. And I want, I would love to be part of that. Yeah. So I'd like to probe that a little bit. So I think everyone's kind of accepted that the way things used to be done is not the way they should continue to be done, particularly at the moment. Um, I'm interested to see how you see diversity actually kind of aiding that change and how having a range of different viewpoints and representations can actually help both deliver better outcomes to customers but also like to the organizations themselves as well yeah i mean so again i think thinking about just the short sort of the last few months and the journey that i'm going on with my teams um and bringing together quite different cultures, quite different mindsets. So from everything from consulting to pure craftspeople to strategists, people with completely different backgrounds, that's not an easy thing to do, but it's absolutely the right thing to do for our clients and for the industry, I think, um, because 
it's in those intersections. So it's in that kind of collision that you get when you bring those different mindsets together that you really do, um, I guess, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, sorry. It's, it's in those collisions, in those kind of moments that creativity really is is true in that you, you get something that is is lateral or is completely outside of what you'd get if you stuck to a formula that you're used to or you had a group of fairly homo- you know, homogenous group of people or designers. If you actually force collisions, and sometimes it can be quite tense because you get people who've always thought in one way and some people have always thought another and you're forcing them to kind of find a middle ground and that middle ground means giving something up but in doing that you find something new brand new that is additive um and if I think back to your question what what I guess is important right now is that we have not seen this before we haven't been in this situation before our tried and tested approaches are not going to work we actually need to shake things up and and enable um the insight and the accidental outcomes that will bring us you know bring us solutions by causing these collisions to happen, basically. So it's it's a tough gig because we're doing it remotely. It's almost another level of difficult difficulty. But I think if we can make make it easier for people to to admit that they are holding on to things and help them let go of those things in a new way, then really the benefit is there. So from a client perspective, you know, clients are not stupid. If they see a team of, you know, straight white guys, sorry to call out, call out the boys, um, on working for them on a project, more often than not now, they're going to call it out because they know they're not going to get, they know they won't get as good a solution as they would get if they had a proper diverse and mixed team. And I'm, I'm picking on, you know, gender and race there. But I think there's something about if you bring people who've got a real business mindset together with people who've got much more of a customer and craft mindset together, clients increasingly want that as well because they can see that there's benefit in bringing those two mindsets into one that's, way that's of thinking. That's super interesting because um, when I was working in consulting, I did it for many, many years. I kind of saw a little bit of that transformation. I mean, I'm, in this country, I'm like a woman, I'm not from this country, I've got an accent, etc. It, it was really tough. I yeah. remember being, you know, credible. And uh, especially when I had people reporting into me where, you know, they were like, you know, English guys, sorry, again, yeah. <laughs> to poke on the guys, but it was very, very, very tough. But is, um, I mean, I think these problems, some organizations still facing, but it's interesting that you say that the things are actually changing um but what are the kind of common problems you see organizations having at the moment in terms of diversity um because now i i don't know how you feel about this but i don't know if it just becomes like ticking a box okay yeah let's just add a woman to this yeah rather than really like embracing the the power of diversity and just making it happen for the whole organization I mean, again, a massive topic but what i would say is that i think underpinning all of this is unconscious bias and that's a much bigger topic to handle. So, um, you know, I, I sometimes get myself into trouble for calling it out, but I do if I if I encounter it, um, and and it happens quite a lot because people, you know, don't the problem with unconscious bias is it's unconscious, obviously. Um, we all have it, but it's particularly prevalent when you get certain groups of people coming together because there's nobody in the mix to say 
actually that doesn't work from this person's perspective. Just think about it. Uh, when you do that, which I have done many times, it really it kind of throws people because nobody wants to admit they've got unconscious bias. And also you can't see it. If you're coming from a, a place of privilege, it's really hard to to see that, you know, you're limited in your view by that. Um, so I think unconscious bias is a, is a, big, is a big one to tackle still. Um, but obviously the last few months, there's been so much um, action, actually, talk and action that more and more people, people that who I think really didn't get it before are starting to, I think, really see it, which is positive. But I think we do have to tackle that mindset shift in organisations and we have to enable those difficult we need, to, we need to create a situation in which someone like me can call it out. And I think that's the thing. I'm quite senior now, so I do it. Um, but more junior people find it very difficult to call out when they experience, you know, the, the outcome of unconscious bias, whether that's sexism or microaggressions or, you know, all of those things. So I do think we've got quite a long way to go. But um, I do have hope because I can see a lot of change happening. So I know it's probably not something where there's – like quick wins or low hanging fruit around this because it's yeah as you say it's systemic change essentially but are there any um bits of advice you might give to people who are either experiencing like on the bad end of this unconscious bias or those who are actively trying to make sure they are delivering projects more inclusively have you got any advice that they could follow to help kind of move things in the right direction yeah, I mean, so I think, and it's hard to place yourself into someone else's shoes sometimes, but you have. But I think that's where you start, um, and and really talking about it has got to be the starting point. I think when it comes to the latter part of the question, which is about how do you avoid these kind of non-diverse situations, you've got to f- put that into your operations in a way. It's got to become something that's operationally normal for someone, you know, to not get away with creating a team that's very homogenized. So what I mean by that is it becomes so part of the routine, you know, you'll basically have, maybe you start with like a checklist and that sounds really obvious, but you have a checklist when you kick off a project, right? And you want to make sure that everybody has what they need. Part of that is, is our team reflective of the customer? You know, do we have a team that is diverse and therefore able to represent the customer that we're designing for or are we just in a bubble and an echo chamber and I and I've intervened many times um you know seeing walking into a project team as they're about to kick off going you can't have this team we're gonna have to start again because it's all men or it's all white or whatever um so something like that is a bit more top down I think you know actually having that as part of the process um, and and that you know if you unravel that out it's like having having representation at all in the team and that's a much bigger topic around recruitment and and the industry and the industry being quite you know l- difficult to enter um, and that is a whole topic that needs to be addressed and a lot of people are trying to work out how to fix that but the way that then ends up you know in a company like mine is there aren't there isn't enough representation so we do have to keep pushing and forcing that as well but then if you go down to the project level we have to do everything we can to make sure that we're not showing up I mean and genuinely you know have a brief which is to create something for you know middle-aged women and it's all men on that team that's just not going to work 
Um, so that's that's one. And then the first bit, which was about um, how to deal with, was it how to deal with unconscious bias or how to call out? Uh, yeah, so I th- uh, what's really amazing, I think, and I'm always really impressed by this, is that the teams are so good at grassroots interventions, as in there's a – I don't really want to call anyone out, but there's a team um, that I'm working with and they've created this kind of safe space for female designers, which they've invited me along to. And it's such a safe, um, open um, conversation, discussion um, – they can talk about anything safely and not feel the pressure of, you know, is somebody going to judge me? And within that, I think you can build confidence. So I would encourage um, people that have teams to to create safe spaces where you can talk about how they're really feeling and what they're experiencing and then work out together how to intervene. Because, you know, each case is very different. It might be that you coach them about how to deal with the situation themselves or you have to step in or, you know, something else. But I think creating safe spaces where people can um, start to voice some of these concerns is really important. That is really, really important. I mean, in my working experience, again, going back to that, I've experienced a lot of, like, you know, sexism and racism. And it's very subtle. But then you as a receiver, kind of like, you know, you can you can feel it. You can feel it. And even I as I said to you uh before as I said before, being yeah. more senior than the people doing it, um, still like I was so scared of saying something because it's kind of like you show weakness. It's like, oh, they're gonna think that um, you know, I'm weak and I'm not strong enough and I I need to put up with all these things. But um since I started working at Google, they actually create all these spaces where you could go and say something. It's actually like lots of different channels we can go and say something and it's so important to have that space yeah because um you don't feel like you know you're going to be judged but still you know the organizations can listen to you and um and sometimes action it i mean sometimes they don't do anything but yeah. at least you you know that you have that space yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. That is super important. And I'm glad that, you know, you know, all companies are trying to follow this because it's going to help a lot of, you know, people out there who, you know, for some reason, um, they think they're different uh, or they are different and it's okay to be different. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to jump to slightly different, well, marginally different topic um, and talk about your experience working on BBC iPlayer. Um, yeah. For anyone that's not in the UK listening, that's essentially the the video player or video consumption kind of app for BBC content. Um, so yeah, I'm just interested to hear a bit more about how you're involved with that and also how you tested with users, particularly as regards like making it accessible, um, inclusive and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally happy to talk. I would just caveat the fact that this is a long time ago. So this is like 12 years since I worked at okay. BBC. But I can still remember, the thing is, it's st- it stuck with me because it was such an impressive <laughs> setup, actually. Um, and an amazing team. Um, I learned so much from working there that I think carried I carried through with, with me in life in other jobs as well. Um, but I think, you know, it was, you know, talking early 2000s here, I think the BBC were incredibly hot on this topic, probably way ahead of their time, actually. And what they were trying to do with the iPlayer, I think it's hard to realise now, but they were inventing something that didn't exist. 
for an, for an audience that was completely inclusive. So the iPlayer was for everyone that had a TV license, which was you know a huge percentage of the population of the UK. Um, so it had to be usable by everyone, which I remember at the time thinking that's just crazy. It kind of flies in the face of you know everything you learn about how to design a product. Um, but they did it, and they <clears throat> I mean, so they we I was obviously part of the team, but we. You know they have amazing um, access to audiences, so they they really you know the the user, the audience, as they call them, part were part of the design process throughout. Um, so it was tested in releases, and you know it would be tested with a panel, and they'd have like different versions of of user testing throughout the entire product design and development process. Um, so really impressive, more than I've seen, you know since in in lots of lots of times i never see anything as robust as that um and in terms of accessibility every design that they ever did had to be accessible so they had a team completely dedicated to accessible design um so you know they had to meet the highest standards of accessibility so it was wasn't an add-on it was part of the design process i'd say um and i just remember one really i don't know if this is um relevant now but if you think about the interface today I just remember so clearly um, they'd done all of the testing using basically wireframes um, up to the point where the UI was going to be designed. And I think they, I don't even know who it was, but they went out to to tender for the UI design. Um, And in the end, it was done by the in-house BBC team because what was designed externally, because again, I think it was so new, just was not accessible or usable enough for, for for the audience. So they designed it internally and that interface that they designed it's pretty much still the basis of what you see today. And it was a really tiny team. So I don't know, I've got a lot of praise for them. I think I feel really proud to have been part of that team. Yeah, it's surprising how little it's changed. It's almost like the iOS of um, video <laughs> sort oh, of like content nice. platforms, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. If you look at what's happened since, you know, nothing really has de- deviated that much from the idea. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? How, and that's how important it is to be inclusive, and you know, because then you can future-proof products, and then they can be, you know, can be live for many, many years. Exactly. Um, Obviously, with you know today's today's situation, again, like being flexible as an organization, like it's not, it's super, super important to be able to respond quickly to customer needs. Um, how have you been advising your clients to do that? And perhaps we can talk about a bit of, you know, living business and, you know, tell us a little bit of what it is and, and how it's helped um, organizations, um, you know, going through this pandemic. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I think, um, thank you for that. I think living business is, uh, obviously, it's, a, it's, it's something we've been building up for a few years, but I mean, it's definitely... Um, really needed now in terms of it's a bit of a it's a framework really it's a kind of way of um helping organizations think in a, in a certain way and it, it brings together lots of different design disciplines and methodologies but essentially it's about helping companies organizations to think about themselves much more holistically um, and their people and their customers as being really really interconnected so if you're trying to if you're trying to do something for your customer, um, your your people need to also feel the kind of same level. It needs to be that that your brand purpose speaks to both your customer and your people in the same way, um, and that you need to connect those two things, or, or or all of the organization really, 
um, in a kind of in an organic way that's really flexible and that can shift and change in in this kind of world of constant change that we're in today. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's never been a more important time for people to be able to do that. Um, and I think, you know, it's quite a, it's quite a big, I mean, the, the idea of it is quite big and it's quite a lot to take on all at once, but there are ways you can break it down. So we've, you know, we've worked with clients over the years in lots of different ways, but I think where we would start is this methodology we have called the vital signs audit, which is essentially, working with the client to understand how well set up they are for change culturally so you know what are the cultural barriers to change and then potentially what are the biases that they have internally that are getting them in the way getting in the way sorry of them being able to make change happen quickly and positively um and that and that kind of audit helps us understand then um what interventions might be needed so you know one of those interventions might be okay they need they actually need to build an in-house design team to help them create better products and services for their customers so we can help them in that. Or they might actually need to shift their thinking from being quite product or business-centric to being customer-centric, which is another thing we've seen a lot of, um, you know, and how you do that is really about strategy and, and kind of getting them to rethink their strategy through a design lens and through a through a human lens. But, yeah, so just, you know, the, the topic is, itself is large, but essentially it's about stopping you know moving from being quite a mechanistic structure to being something much more organic and human as as a business and that's are there any common um patterns or problems you see organizations having or is it generally quite unique to that specific organization i think there are i mean um a lot of the time and and again we'll probably see this now with the changes that are happening due to covid a lot of the time you get like um, a CEO or a C-suite that really buy into this change and they really, you know, they they can see it and they want it to happen. It's when you kind of move down through the organisation that you get quite a lot of stickiness. So people who have run things in a certain way for a certain period of time or they feel, everybody feels like it's human nature. You feel a sense of self-worth by what you have control over. And essentially to do to do this and to make this change happen or to even constantly make change happen, you need to be able to relinquish control. And a lot of a lot of organizations, particularly at the kind of like, you know, below C-suite level, find that really difficult. It's a cultural stickiness, if you like. Um, and that's quite hard to overcome. I think that that is underestimated when organizations want to go on this kind of change and if you look i mean i don't want to mention any company names but there are ones out there where you can see they've probably google is probably one of them but where you can see that you know it's it's not just come down from the top it's embedded in every aspect of the organization in fact i will call out one company because i can and that's accenture accenture is amazing at this accenture has just launched its new purpose and strategy which you know is accessible to everyone but the way that manifests internally is the key to success it's about everybody internalizing that and then shifting behavior to make that happen which takes huge amount of effort from everyone it's interesting because um i mean you would normally do this kind of process with um companies like just running lots of workshops and 
um, you know, getting them to feedback, etc. Doing doing lots of like research as well, and yeah. you know, kind of part of that ethno um, approach is to be there to observe, to kind of like. But now, without that physical contact, um, obviously, I, I, I guess you have the common challenges of like doing everything through Zoom. But uh, is there anything else that you've seen as like? current constraints in this new situation is bringing to that process for organizations i mean i think this cultural stickiness is is really hard to overcome anyway i think mm. if you've got an organization that is quite constrained hierarchically so if you you know if your structure is is quite um rigid then right now in the world of you know if you a company that where everybody was in the office and it was quite sort of um top down and you know you had those mm. those hierarchies I think I, I can imagine when that now suddenly has gone remote that is really difficult to to make that shift because it's not it's not only necessarily about technology although technology is probably a part of it for some of those companies they're not as digitally savvy potentially but even when they've overcome that it's kind of that level of trust that you have to have in your workforce so mm. you know you're not seeing everybody every day how mm. do you how do you a maintain trust between you and how do you influence people you know what are the what are the ways that you do that and i think if you've um if you've got that inherently in your organization then the covid situation probably hasn't hit you as hard yeah okay. yeah exactly well, i mean if you just to, like wrap up now um what if you were a designer obviously you're a junior designer like navigating the, today's complexity you know working from home trying to do your job <laughs> um what kind of advice you give them to first to be able to navigate through these uncertainty and and also to um be able to embrace diversity and all these very important topics we talked about today what would advice would you give them yeah actually i think um because we talk about coaching and mentoring and things a lot, which I think are really important. Um, and finding a coach or, or a mentor, someone that you that you look up to or trust, I think it is a really valuable thing to do, and I'd recommend it. But what I've what I've done recently, what I think is really powerful, is to find someone who can be a sponsor. So in this time of you know being remote, is there someone who will help you still be? challenging yourself and go beyond you know your comfort zone and actually put opportunities in front of you so not just kind of coaching which is asking you you know getting you to talk about yourself and talk yourself into a situation a sponsor should specifically put somebody into a situation that will help them grow um mm -hmm. and it sounds like an easy thing to do but I think it is worth the effort to find someone that will do that, either within your organization, and it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. a boss, it can be something completely different, or outside of your organization. I think looking for a sponsor that will, you know, not necessarily be your friend even, but will help you push yourself, I think that's mm -hmm. a really important thing to do. Yeah, that's really, really important. I think throughout my career, I've found a lot of sponsors, <laughs> and I think that's why, you know, I managed to do a lot of the things I wanted to do. Um, last question, and I always ask this question to all our guests. Um, and sorry if I put you on the spot, but uh. is, there, is there a book or <laughs> a person to follow or a video to watch or a podcast to listen to, apart from this Unentangled, which is the of best course. one, um, that you could recommend designers right now? Um, yeah, yes. anything can work. 
Exactly. Um, so I think, I mean, I have a few that I would suggest, but one that I keep going back to, it's nothing to do with design, is um, anything by Mary Beard. I love Mary Beard. She's amazing. But the book, uh, particularly the book called Women and Power, A Manifesto, it's very short. It's more of a, it's more of a lecture is is incredibly powerful about you know how you know societal norms have, have formed us as women and how we need to overcome that um and then for leadership stuff i love simon sinek and adam grant so leaders eat last the infinite game um give and take they're three books that i would recommend um and then as a kind of handy guidebook if you're a leader I would recommend Create a, G- a Gender Balanced Workforce by Anne Frank, which really gives you the, it gives you, it sets you up with the argument and then it tells you how to go about it, basically. Oh, that's good. And okay. I love Roxanne Gay. So Roxanne Gay on Twitter is my inspiration. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Have to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much again, Abby, for being here with us. Um, for me, it's been amazing talking to you about all these very important topics. I wish we had more time to talk about it. Uh, but thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled. 